1: I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The elect is just a term that means people who are going to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more verse. Say this one with me. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that a warm, fuzzy verse to memorize?
0: The Gospel message is hands down the most liberating message that anyone could ever possibly hear and choose to receive. However, we as believers can sometimes forget that the Gospel message also includes the reality that we'll suffer on behalf of Christ. In today's message, Pastor Danny discusses what it means to bring glory to Christ and how it sometimes involves suffering. In his study, you'll be encouraged to take heart in knowing that when you're suffering for your walk, you have the opportunity to glorify God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: They're called before the king. I hear that you didn't bow before the image. Yes, that's true, O king. Well, you don't bow, you're going to burn. We want you to know, O king, our God is able to save us, but if he does not. And I don't know who was the spokesman for the three, but the other two probably thinking, if he does not, what do you mean if he does not? (laughs) If he does not, we will not bow, we will burn. We're willing to burn. Nebuchadnezzar gets so enraged, he makes the fire ten times hotter than normal. The guys that throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire get burned up themselves. They die. That's how hot the fire is. But you know the story, right? They're looking into the flame, and here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting a suntan. I mean, they're just walking around in the flames. And there's a fourth person walking around with them, and they say, he looks like a son of God. Well, that's exactly right. He is the son of God. Now, everybody, if you're going to suffer like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, want the deliverance that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Those three guys got. Yeah. But listen, listen, listen. They didn't know they were going to be saved. They thought they were going to die. And they were willing to die. Of course, you know the story of Daniel. I'll never get tired of reading it. I'll never get tired of telling it. I'll never get tired of preaching about it. Here's Daniel. God's raised him up as a government official in Babylon. His government peers don't like him. They don't like the God he serves. They're jealous, and they're going to get him. But they realize the only way we can get him, because he's so faithful in his, in his service to the government, the only way we're going to get at him if it has something to do with his God and his faith. And so they go to King Darius and they say, hey, King Darius, we thought it'd be a great idea if for the next 30 days, anybody prays to any other God except you, throw him into the lion's den. Darius said, that's a great idea. He makes the law, which according to the Medes and the Persians can't be repealed after it's made. And right after the law goes into effect, Daniel immediately goes to his, goes to his home, opens his windows toward Jerusalem. And just like his pattern had been before, he prayed toward Jerusalem. He prayed. Well, they're there they're snapping pictures they take the pictures back to Darius and say Darius this guy Daniel look at look he's praying to a god other than you so Darius has Daniel thrown into the lions den now like his friends god delivers him the lions do not eat him but he didn't know that was going to happen he was willing to suffer He was willing to die. Let me take just a moment and read you the results of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. Here's the result of their willingness to suffer and even die. Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So many great stories like that. But not all of them are delivered in this life. Stephen wasn't. Most of the apostles weren't. But they left an undeniable witness to an unbelieving world. And through their lives, some were saved. Let me leave you with one more story. Go with me back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to summarize most of it because we don't have time to read through the whole story. But it's the story of a man named Joseph. Starts out with him 17 years old. He's the youngest of Jacob's children. He was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age. He becomes a favorite son. He is hated by his brothers. Verse 2 says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. In other words, he told something they were doing wrong. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, could not speak a kind word to him. Please note verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more because here's the dream. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Oh, his brothers love that dream. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Now note with me, please listen. It's a dream from God. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. I don't think that was smart, but he does. He said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, we know from Revelation that the sun and moon represent mom and dad, Jacob and his wife, Joseph's mother. And the 11 stars represent the 11 brothers. They knew that too. Look what it says. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What's this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Two dreams, they both mean the same thing. It's about future exaltation. And so Joseph is going to have to have faith because what God does not tell him is what's going to happen in his life between the dream being given and the fulfillment of the dream. And if he had, what did happen? Well, one more interesting note. Before the story goes on about Joseph, you have in chapter 38 a story about Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, and he ends up having a sexual relationship unknowingly with his daughter Tamar, who dressed up and disguised herself as a prostitute. We won't go into that story, but just to say that's a terrible sin. And while Judah is sinning terribly, Joseph is suffering greatly. I think there's a message there. You pick it up in chapter 39. Joseph is sent by his dad to check on his brothers as they're out tending the flocks. When he shows up, they say, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. They throw him into a cistern, going to leave him for dead. But one of the brothers says, well, we're not going to get anything out of it except the joy of having him dead. But let's get more than that. Let's sell him. So they get him up out of the cistern, sell him to some Midianite merchants. Midianite merchants go down to Egypt, and they sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar. And Joseph becomes a slave at 17 years old. Potiphar's wife, not a righteous woman at all. You talk about a pagan. She notices that this 17-year-old guy is a hunk. And the Bible says he was handsome. He was well-built. And she tries to seduce Joseph day after day, and day after day he resists. He abstains from sinful desires that would war against his soul. He has a dream that's greater than the dream of going to bed with this woman. There are a lot of guys that would love to be in Joseph's sandals as this woman is throwing herself at him day after day. He's far from home. He's hated by his brothers. He's been done wrong. He's wondering what in the world happened to the dream. He's suffering. He's abstaining in the suffering and doing what's right after this woman day after day tries to seduce him. And one day when nobody else is around, she grabs him and says, come to bed with me. He runs. And that's the only counsel God gives for sexual sin. Flee. Flee. She keeps his garment in her hand. Potiphar her husband comes home and he, she says to him, this Hebrew slave tried to rape me. He believes her, throws Joseph into prison. So he suffers unjustly after doing the right thing and abstaining from a sinful desire that would war against his soul. While he's in prison, cupbearer and the baker, they offend Pharaoh. So Pharaoh throws them into the same prison as Joseph's in. Joseph ministers to them. They both have dreams. Dreams that trouble them. Joseph sees that they're troubled. Says, hey, why are you so troubled? Well, we had this dream and it was like a nightmare. We don't understand it. He says, well, my God's interpreter of dreams, tell me your dream. Maybe he'll tell you what it means. He tells him what it means and the interpretation for the cupbearer is good. Three days after this, he's going to get his job back. But for the baker, not so good. Three days from now, Pharaoh's going to have you come out of the prison and he's going to cut your head off. They both come true. As the cupbearer is leaving the prison, Joseph says, listen, remember me when you get your job back because I'm here and I'm innocent. I'm here suffering unjustly. Put in a good word for me, basically. But the cupbearer, when he gets out, he forgets about Joseph. Two more years go by and Joseph is rotten in this stinking prison and he's suffering unjustly. Then you get to chapter 41 and Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. And they both mean the same thing, but he doesn't know it. The first dream, he says, I'm standing by the Nile, and out of the river come these seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank, And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Pharaoh goes back to sleep. He has another dream. Second dream, verse 5, seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. And then Pharaoh woke up. Two dreams. He's troubled. He calls his magicians, his sorcerers, his enchanters. He says, I had these dreams. Tell me what they mean. They say, we don't know what they mean. And the cupbearer's hearing all this. And finally, he says, hey, I'm reminded of my shortcomings, there was a guy in prison named Joseph, and me and the baker had these dreams, and he interpreted the dreams, and they both came true. Pharaoh says, Send for him. Joseph stands before Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. Joseph says, I can't interpret dreams, but I serve a God who knows dreams. Tell me your dream. He tells him both of the dreams. Please note chapter 41, verse 32. Let me read it. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Joseph knew that. Joseph had two dreams. They both meant the same thing. And so Joseph, from the time he was 17, sold into Egypt. Abstaining from sinful desires, suffering unjustly, and he has to every day wake up in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that pain, and he has to trust God. He has to trust God. Joseph gives Pharaoh the interpretation, and then he gives Pharaoh some advice. And little does Joseph know that the advice he gives to Pharaoh is the link to the fulfillment of the dreams that God had given him. He says to Pharaoh, here's the meaning of the dreams, 7 years of plenty, and after the 7 years of plenty there're going to be 7 years of famine, not just going to affect Egypt, but going to affect the world. So here's what you should do, Pharaoh. Find a wise man in your realm and put him in charge and for the 7 years of plenty, have him store up provisions so that when the 7 years of famine come, Egypt will have all they need. Pharaoh says, I'll read it. Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in a chariot as second in command. Men shouted before him, Make way. Then he put him in charge of the whole land. And then Pharaoh said, I'm Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paniah. Zaphonath Paniah, the revealer of secret things. And just like that, his dream is fulfilled, and people will bow to him. Seven years, he gives instruction, they pile up provisions, and then the famine hits. But Egypt got all they need. The famine hits in Israel. And Jacob tells his sons, go to Egypt to buy grain. They got grain there. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. They stand before him. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Why? He dresses like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. Every time I mention it, I'm going to get a response. doesn't matter how many times I teach it. They don't recognize him, he recognizes them. And to summarize the story, he deals with them in a way that it brings such conviction to them that in chapter 42, verse 21, they said to one another, his brothers, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And they're talking about this. And they don't realize, because Joseph is using an interpreter, an Egyptian interpreter, he can understand everything they're saying. And the short summary is, they believe that what's happening to them is a result of what they did to Joseph years before, and it was 13 years ago. Finally, Joseph... Can stand it no longer. And you read in chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out. Have everyone leave my presence? So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers. I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Because they were terrified at his presence. Why are they terrified? Because they realize this is Joseph, and what we did to him, he's about to get his revenge. They think Joseph is going to retaliate. Boy, are they in for a surprise. And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here. But God, what a perspective. Joseph suffered for righteousness' sake. Joseph suffered for the sake of redemption. Say this with me. Come on. You ready? Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The elect is just a term that means people who are going to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more verse. Say this one with me. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that a warm, fuzzy verse to memorize? (laughs) A rabbi, Harold Kushner, wrote a remarkably wide-selling book a few years ago, and it's titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Sold more than a half million copies before going to paperback and was on the New York Times bestseller list for a whole year. The whole point of his book is to say God is all-loving, but not all-powerful. God is good, but not sovereign. So when bad things happen to good people, it's because events are out of God's control. Kushner advises his readers to learn to love God and forgive him despite his limitations. Unbelievable. (laughs) Hosting a party in his backyard, a millionaire announces to the crowd that he will give anything he owns to the person who swims the length of his pool. There's just one catch. The pool is filled with sharks. Splash! All of a sudden, guy's in the pool. He begins swimming furiously. Fins are breaking the water. Jaws are snapping. When it looks like he's going to be fish food, the guy climbs out the other end of the pool. Millionaire comes over to him and says, I'm a man of my word. You're the bravest man I've ever met. What is it you want? The guy says, Well, let's start with the name of the jerk that pushed me in. (laughs) I don't know what it is you're suffering. You may hate the job you're at, you may strongly dislike the boss you have. But you're there for a reason, for a divine purpose. You're on a heavenly mission. By the way, these principles apply at home as well. You want to be a witness to your husband, your unbelieving husband? We're getting to that too, because that's exactly what Peter's going to talk about in chapter three how to be a witness to your unbelieving spouse how to be a witness to your children. Listen, I've been challenged. I've been challenged biblically from this book, especially on how to relate biblically like Jesus would to homosexuals. I was like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane at one point in my life. I used to preach at my brother, my older brother, and everything I said to him was was true. Everything I said to him was true according to this book. True about his lifestyle. True that he needed to repent. You know all I did? I did the same thing Peter did when they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulls out his sword, and you know what he did? He goes to swing, and all he does is cut off a guy named Malchus's ear. Thank God Jesus reached down and put that ear back and miraculously healed his ear. You know, all I did, all I did for years with my brother, I just take it like Peter, just taking that sword, and all I did is close my brother. I just cut off his ears. You were not going to listen to me because I wasn't doing what Jesus would have done. It's not compromise, but it's how to relate. And I'm challenged by that. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know who you're having to deal with. But what a practical word to us this morning. Abstain from sinful desires. Live a submissive life. Be willing to suffer unjustly, and don't
0: retaliate. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You're welcome to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Danny by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest messages and videos from Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. If you're unable to visit us in person, no worries. We also offer live stream services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series in the book of 1 Peter, our prayer is that you're finding a newfound appreciation for who Jesus is and how your life should reflect him. 1 Peter is full of practical wisdom to help guide you as you grow in your faith and we hope that this message has empowered you to live a life after that of Jesus. After all, he is the best way. The goal of this ministry is teaching the word and reaching the world. We trust that the living word is speaking to many and pray that lives would be changed. Well, that's all we have for today. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Danny continue to teach through the book of 1 Peter right here on The Living Word.